0: It's Ellen Weatherford
1: and Christian Weatherford,
0: and this is just the zoo of us your favorite animal review podcast where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics.
1: We are not zoological experts, but we try our best to find the most accurate information we can.
0: And we're back after not being here last week because we were so sick. Mm. That's it, just mm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's my girl response. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah we had a rough go of last week you may be able to still hear that a little bit in my voice don't worry i'll edit out all of our coughs and sniffles
1: (laughs) to make for a more
0: enjoyable listening experience except
1: for one as an easter egg
0: oh yeah see if you can spot
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the
0: sniffle that probably, due to some sort of weird overlapping audio issue, could not be edited out of this episode. <laughs> but we're back. Better than ever. I think the stage is yours. Oh,
1: okay. Christian enters the scene.
0: Christian has entered the chat. <laughs> At the end, you're going to exit Pursued by a Bear. Oh.
1: Okay, so the animal I'm talking about this week is the Daddy Long Legs. Daddy's oh. long leg. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Daddy's long leg. (laughs) Yeah, I think that daddy long legs pluralizes goes by attorney general rules. Yeah. Attorney's general (laughs) Daddy's long leg.
1: (laughs) Scientific name, Fulcus phalangioids. That's probably right.
0: (laughs) I think phalangioids is specifically the way that I told you to say it a couple days ago.
1: That's probably right. Uh, these are also known as the long-bodied cellar spider or the skull spider.
0: Interesting. I
1: misspelled that. I wrote skill spider, but I remembered this. S- <laughs> S- skill spider
0: issue. <laughs> um,
1: this species was submitted by Max Woodruff.
0: Thank you, Max. Thank
1: you. And Max specified these daddy long legs and not the other ones. I'm getting my information from Animal Diversity Web and Penn State Extension website found at extension.psu.edu, as well as the Australian Museum website.
0: Now, you mentioned the other ones. Yes. Sort of ominously, as though lurking <laughs> in the shadows. What are the other ones?
1: Uh, so, the other ones are Harvestmen.
0: Harvestmen? Yes. I see. Where
1: these are true spiders.
0: Oh, okay. Harvestmen are fake poser spiders. Yep. <sighs> are we gatekeeping? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Females are seven to eight millimeters long, or about 0.3 inches.
0: Now, how much of the spider is that taking into consideration?
1: Mm, this is including legs, including
0: legs. If I because it doesn't seem that big. Wait, when I think of daddy long legs. I think like yeah, I guess
1: so. Not legs. very
0: much legs, very yeah. little body.
1: Yeah, let me correct that. That sounds like it's just talking about the body. Then okay, yeah, but their their legs are big, and the males are six millimeters long, or point two inches. They can be found throughout the world. In undisturbed, low-light locations.
0: They might be undisturbed, but I certainly am not. (laughs) They just
1: look spindly is all.
0: They do. It's very Jack Skellington. Mm -hmm. Very seasonally appropriate for getting into the Halloween season.
1: I guess I should talk more about what they look like. Please. Yeah. Eight legs, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Their body is very small in comparison to their legs.
0: It's like what a child would draw if a child was trying to draw a spider. Mm.
1: You know, it's like a
0: clump in the middle and then all the legs sticking out of it.
1: Sometimes, because I think sometimes kids will do the exact opposite, right? (laughs) Like a huge body and eight little itty bitty, (laughs) almost thumb like appendages. Sure, little nubs. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm a fan of either, honestly. It's endearing taxonomic family is false they are related to vibrating spiders and gyrating spiders and skull spiders
0: all of the things you said were fantastic yes which one are you (laughs) vibrating gyrating or skull
1: (laughs) and remember those names because they are coming up oh good which brings us to our first category our first category is effectiveness where we talk about physical characteristics These could be built-in functions or interesting appendages, that sort of thing. I'm giving a 7 out of 10 for effectiveness.
0: Very good.
1: So first up, like many spiders, is venom.
0: Now this is something that I, like maybe a lot of people listening, have heard about Daddy Long Legs.
1: Yes, the saying that... They're some of the most venomous spiders in the world,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: are not able to pierce the skin of humans.
0: Did this come up else like in your notes, or am I the only person that seems to have no, heard it of this? Did. I, okay. had,
1: I had heard of this? No, too so that entire statement of <laughs> <laughs> nope. a little nope of a a they're not especially venomous, and they can also bite people.
0: Oh. Yes. So both parts of it, wrong on both accounts. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> but at
0: least if they do bite you, it's not that big a deal. <laughs>
1: You'll have some local irritation, maybe. Sure. But extremely unlikely to have the big problems that other spiders can cause.
0: Yeah. It was one of those things that I don't know if it was told to me to try to, like, scare me or something like that. Like, I don't know if it's something that people say to try to scare you. Maybe. Maybe. But, yeah, I had always heard that, like, oh, if they if their fangs were just big enough to bite you, then
1: <laughs> they'd kill
0: you on sight.
1: You know what? It sounds like something a parent might have made up to get their kids to stop playing with the spiders.
0: <laughs> That's not what I would do. That's not the approach <laughs> I would take. I mean, like, it's just another way that humans get spiders terribly, terribly mm, wrong, mm, right?
1: The modern day would be something more like, don't touch that spider or it'll corrupt your Minecraft save. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it'll wipe your roblox account it'll
1: give all your robux to insert youtuber name <laughs> uh so yeah that is a myth about their venom
0: that's comforting to know
1: yeah now they do use their venom uh to kill their prey and digest them as well and we see that with spiders a lot um digesting meaning they're Prey are usually things with exoskeletons, right? Mm. So when we say digest, they're injecting venom into that probably insect. And then that venom kills and or stuns them, but is also dissolving the insides
0: got it. to make
1: for uh, an easy slurp up meal.
0: Brutal. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're spiders, right? Their body is so tiny. They don't have a lot of room in there for like intestines and stuff, mm. right? You got to outsource some of your digestion
1: <laughs> it's the opposite of, of what people tell me which is do drink your calories
0: oh yeah they're just like caloric nimbiists. Mm. Like, i don't want that digestion happening in my abdomen oh
1: <laughs> there's not a lot of abdomen there either yeah that's what i'm saying lives. next thing i want to talk about with effectiveness silk production lots of spiders produce silk and then build webs or other kinds of structures with it not all spiders do webs um but this one does
0: i don't feel like i've ever seen like a well i don't know if i would see a web and immediately know it was like a daddy long legs web but i also don't feel like i've seen a daddy long legs like chilling out on a web right they're usually like skidding around on a wall or on
1: something. something that's in the garage usually they're always in the garage <laughs> The they thing that I'm that. trying to pick up.
0: <laughs> they, yes, that's where they are. <laughs> They've honed in on whatever Christian needs most in this moment.
1: I'll talk a little bit more about the web building and in Ingenuity. Oh, very good. Their diet, like I alluded to, is other spiders and small insects. And they are known for cannibalism.
0: It's friendly fire. <laughs> it's a shame.
1: And again, this will come back at Ingenuity. You know, <laughs> <more lovely. laughs> Which, great segue, Ingenuity is our category where we talk about uh, smart things, intelligent things, could be tool use, hunting methods, that sort of thing. Communications also a big one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm giving another 7 out of 10 for okay. this category. First up, I want to talk about their webs again. So they make irregular shaped webs to fit into their surroundings, and they're usually horizontally built.
0: Like a hammock. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> That's nice. So they're
1: irregular shape. So they're not the picturesque uh, web design you might think of, mm. uh, like you know the perfect National Geographic picture where it's like beaded in dew and dew. I
0: took a, I took a picture like that one yeah. time. I was so proud of it.
1: It's so good. It's great. I <laughs> love it when they do that. Yeah. So that's not this, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> they do make one. Hey, you know the cool ones. It's not like that. <laughs> I wonder if. The daddy long legs are like, it's just irregular shape, guys. It's just my style. (laughs) Yeah. I did it that way on purpose.
1: Now, I was going to gloss over this, but I will talk a little bit about, you know, what spiders do with their webs, right?
0: Yeah. What do they do with their webs? Why are they doing that?
1: So they're doing this usually to catch prey. Right. Right. Uh so their webs are sticky and they're hard to see. So the idea is it's it's acting as a sticky net to catch things that walk or fly through it.
0: Like you, for example, All walking the into the garage.
1: Yep. <laughs> right at face level.
0: <laughs> That's why if you're ever going on a hike or a walk through the woods, get yourself a tall friend to walk in
1: front.
0: <laughs> Like Christian, who's six foot two, yeah. and walks in front of me everywhere we go. My spider scout,
1: I clear the trail. <laughs> but yeah, the silk will entangle the prey, and then the spider will come along, and deliver a bite, and start eating on it, or save it for later. Mm-hmm. Some spiders will, you know, wrap up their prey in, in silk. Speaking of webs, sometimes these spiders will perform hostile takeovers of others.
0: What? Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: Uh-oh. Oh, no. Web
1: building is energy expensive.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah,
1: and it takes time. So what they'll do is they'll invade the webs of other individuals to eat them and then use their web as their <gasps> own.
0: Diabolical. How <laughs> dare <laughs> you come into my house you eat me and steal my house how dare it's the
1: worst open house ever
0: because <laughs> i guess there's nothing preventing like there's no like security system it's not like password enabled right it's like anyone could come along and be, use it be
1: big that's be your the only biggest hope. one <laughs> So before we talked about related spiders that had names like vibrating spider and gyrating spider. Yes. Well, I assume those are called the things they're called because they do something that this spider does as well. And that's what I'm referring to as the spider shake. The spider shake. (laughs) (laughs) So when they sense that their web is being disturbed or threatened, specifically not prey... Like mm. something they don't want messing with their web,
0: interesting, I wonder how they know like the difference,
1: probably the intensity of the vibration oh, sure. I would guess, okay when they sense that, they do something where they shake their body quickly, like huh. they're shaking it back and forth, like they're still connected to the web, but they're like gyrating their body, oh, um, and it's thought that it, this makes them harder to see. So what what they're doing here is No. <laughs> they think something's trying to eat them uh-huh. and they're they're basically trying to make it like harder for the for that thing to catch them.
0: Are they trying to like manually blur themselves?
1: <laughs> Gotta go fast.
0: <laughs> they're trying to like apply a photoshop blur but like in real life. Maybe if my silhouette is poorly defined. <laughs> be able to see me it works well listen their silhouettes are already pretty poorly defined by how like spindly they are right like yes. they're already kind of hard to spot it's true that is hilarious. That is the opposite of like, you remember in those Jurassic Park movies where they were like, oh, the Tyrannosaurus Rex's vision is based on movement. So if we stay super still, she can't see us. It's the opposite of that. <laughs> I have to move as much as physically possible.
1: It's very anime of them. Yes.
0: Like. <laughs> He's moving faster than I can see.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh so yeah the spider shake
0: that's hilarious <laughs> let's get that uh let's get that tick tock dance trend going
1: <laughs> another thing they do is they communicate with pheromones specifically that's how males will find females
0: mm, yeah find the mommy long legs mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> do they call them that no no wow. but i mean nothing, no one's stopping you
0: that has a different tone i think mommy only long slightly, legs only slightly only
1: slightly <laughs> Next thing I want to talk about is egg care. Spiders lay oh, eggs.
0: Anyone who's watched Charlotte's Web is is all over this.
1: Yep. So the mommy spider will lay a bunch of eggs, and then they'll wrap them up in silk, and then carries them around in her chelicera? Chelicera. Chelicera. Yeah. Which is another name for their jaws. So they'll carry a, a little bundle of eggs around with them.
0: Mm, this this my baby. Yeah. My little baby.
1: <laughs> but it's like... Like a single layer of saran wrap of silk. (laughs) So, like, it's hard from pictures I saw, it's hard to tell that they're bound together by silk. It just looks like a clump of eggs that are stuck to each other.
0: I will take that over what wolf spiders do with Mm. their babies, which is just carry them around on her back, just kind of loosey goosey up there. (laughs) So that then when you come across one, the babies explode everywhere. Yeah,
1: for sure. And then the last thing I have under ingenuity is their motherhood. Oh, it is short-lived. Oh, <laughs> but in a better way than what is probably you're imagining.
0: I, I'm imagining Charlotte's Web. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: that was a short-lived motherhood. Yeah,
1: but what happens here is you know the mo- the mother watches over her hatchlings for the nine days it takes for them to grow enough to leave the maternal web and then to find somewhere to build their own.
0: I mean, nine days in the life of a spider, that's a long, that's not that long for us. But like, for a spider, that's a long time. Sure. (laughs) You could build a lot of webs in nine
1: days.
0: (laughs) You could build a lot of irregular horizontal webs in that time.
1: All right, two week old, go build a web. (laughs) (laughs) Your time
0: has come. Go. Yep. Be an architect.
1: Right there on the doorknob. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Surely
0: nobody will walk through here and completely destroy your web every 30 seconds.
1: <laughs> uh, our last category is, that is aesthetics. I'm giving another 7 out of 10. Boy, this is 7s
0: across the board, huh? I feel
1: very 7-y about this.
0: This is a mid-spider all around, <laughs> huh?
1: <laughs> Aside from what we already talked about, what they look like, they are also their body and legs are also nearly translucent.
0: Really? Yes. Huh.
1: No, it's worth mentioning. I feel like my personal experience with daddy long legs, I think, was mostly the other kind of daddy long legs.
0: Oh, you think so? I
1: think so. Really? Because my memories of daddy long legs all involve like or something in the shape of like a skittle mm-hmm. <laughs> with like a bunch of legs coming. Right, off
0: they're of like perfectly round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, what I think of when I think of, it. but also like with the Daddy Long Legs, I think of it being all legs, like 99% mm, legs with mm. just like a little blip of a body too. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think of um, Miyazaki movies for some reason when I think of Daddy Long Legs.
0: You're probably thinking of Kumaji the Boiler Man.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his little, his sprites, while don't resemble the spiders, they they, they kind of... Fluff oh, around a little bit
0: i could see that yeah they look like the little body of the spider and then kamaji's got yeah. all the the legs
1: and then they clump together i think at some points and then so you'll see pictures of daddy long legs where like there's tons of daddy long legs like kind of grouped up together
0: i don't tend to spend a lot of time looking at those pictures well then it's usually, i avoid
1: those pictures <laughs> well it's usually a video then because someone like touches it and then you realize what you thought was maybe like a furry rock was actually you know it's
0: my least favorite type of internet content here's Uh, my handful of spiders
1: (laughs) now again i don't know if that's these or the other ones but um miscellaneous info i was not able to find anything conservation status wise for these But I assume they're doing pretty good given their global range.
0: Well, I mean, this seems like a kind of animal that is really well-suited to, like, living in human spaces. Like, they just slot so perfectly into, like, human buildings and stuff. So, like, this is the type of animal that's going to do well.
1: Yeah, because, like... In houses and things, there's tons of places where they could be where we will never, ever see them, right?
0: There's probably one in the same room yeah. as us right now. For, we just don't see it.
1: For every one we see, there's like 20 that we don't, right? Right.
0: What's that <laughs> saying? is saying that you're never more than, what, six feet away from a spider? Yeah. 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 But, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> I mean,
1: ever since I've kept my pet spider in my pocket.
0: I've yeah. <laughs> got all those loose spiders.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that is the daddy long leg.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. What you a have, fun little guy.
1: Do you have any personal experiences to talk
0: about? With Only them? just of being very scared of them as a kid. You oh, know? okay. Like, I feel like I remember times when I was trying to go to bed and there'd be one on the ceiling and I'd have to go, like, find an adult To help uh, relocate. I mean, if it's on the ceiling, there's not a lot you can do about it, right? Yeah, yeah. um, I just remember being scared of them and menaced by them a lot as a child. Even though, as an adult looking back, they weren't doing anything to me, right? They were just living their spider life. It's okay. Um, And then I kind of made peace with them as I got older. Actually, I remember um, finding comfort in that, like... Even though it's not true, the idea that like they're too small to bite you, mm. something about that like brought me comfort of like they can't bite me, they can't do anything to me. So I guess it's okay that they're there, because then they're not gonna do anything to me anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, even though it's not true, it at least helped me not like panic when I saw one. And then I just I feel neutral towards them. I guess. Okay. <laughs> they're just they're there, and I'm fine with them. They're all right. They don't bother <laughs> me. I wouldn't touch one.
1: My childhood was a bit opposite of yours, I think. Really? I think my parents encouraged uh, holding them. Really? What? <laughs> like touching them?
0: Wait, did you like pick them up and hold them and stuff? Yeah, they'll like crawl across your hand. Like, <gasps> and, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know you were cool like that. <laughs> Just like vibing with the spiders. <laughs> I never did that ever, not in my whole life. Oh, yeah.
1: No. <laughs> well, it, was a, it was the same like motif of where you know, a parent might say, Hey, hold out your hand, and then drop like a fresh earthworm into it. Which your... one of your parents did that? My dad. Of yeah, course. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 I never, never in my entire life have my parents done such a thing. <laughs> One time there was a spider in our house and my mom got our cat to get... It wasn't a daddy long-legged spider, but my mom fetched our horrible tabby cat to go get it. And the cat did catch the spider and very obediently returned the spider to my mom's feet and dropped the spider directly (laughs) on my mom's foot. Just like she wanted. Yes, she said, here you go. I got that (laughs) spider for you. (laughs) Here's that spider you ordered. (laughs) But no, we were not cool with spiders like that so we did not uh we would just kind of ignore them basically like if there was one around it would be like yeah it's just a daddy long legs let him let him go don't worry about him yeah not, we didn't hassle the spiders
1: <laughs> you menace it was specific to that spider it wasn't ever, yeah okay they weren't ever like oh look at this black widow <laughs> <laughs> i should hope not <laughs>
0: Maybe that's uh, maybe that's why you're so much cooler with spiders than I am, because you're you're the household designated spider retrieval service.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We should start labeling that cup and plate as the
0: <laughs> the spider cup. <laughs> <laughs> and that you know that skill has really come in handy now that we've moved up to uh, where we live in Washington. There's a lot more spiders here. I've I've found.
1: Hmm.
0: You think so? I don't think so personally. I, I think it's found... about the same. You think so? Yeah. I feel like I've seen a lot more spiders than I did before. Hmm. Maybe I'm just looking for them, though. Maybe.
1: We are spending more time in the outdoors than we used to.
0: We're spending so much more time outside <laughs> than, than we're used to. So I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of spiders up here. Haven't seen Daddy Long Legs yet, though. Yeah. But I'm sure they're there. You know what? After this, let's go check the garage. Okay. Let's go, go explore a little <laughs> bit. See if we can find one. I've
1: seen some other big spiders in there. But... Maybe let's not go explore the garage then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: plans canceled. (laughs) Well, thank you, darling. That was great. Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the Maximum Fun Network, and then we'll get to my animal.
1: Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and Frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for my brother, my brother and me.
0: The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom,
1: Diablo 4, Final Fantasy 16,
0: Street Fighter 6, Baldur's Gate 3, Starfield, Spider-Man 2, Master Detective Archives rain Code for Nintendo Switch? No, is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge time for video games.
1: You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier.
0: I'm Maddie Myers.
1: And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of TripleClick, a video game podcast for anyone who likes games.
0: Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.
1: All right, enough with our eight-legged friends. What have you got for us this week, Ellen?
0: I have a no-legged friend.
1: No legs?
0: (laughs) I mean, not what we would consider to be legs, right? They have, like, vestigial skeletal remnants of legs, but not, like, leg legs.
1: Sure. This
0: is an animal called the vaquita. Okay. Scientific name, Fasina sinus. The species was submitted by Adam Cruz and 10-year-old daughter Gloria. So thank you, Adam and Gloria. I'm getting my information from the Aquarium of the Pacific, NOAA, and the International Whaling Commission. The vaquita is a very small porpoise. You know what a porpoise is?
1: Yes. It's a dolphin.
0: Well, I mean, it's not... it's not like exactly like a dolphin. They're a little different from dolphins. They're in the same family.
1: Are they a subset of dolphin, or is it more two circles that overlap, but not full, fully encompassing the other?
0: I think it's that porpoises and dolphins are both different groups that are both types of toothed whales. Oh, okay. So like porpoises and dolphins, there's not really any overlap. A porpoise is kind of like a stubby dolphin. Okay. So whereas you know how a dolphin has that sort of long snout... Like you think of like a bottlenose dolphin, you think of that like long snout. They don't have that. Uh, Their fins, like their dorsal fin, are a lot like shorter and more Mm -hmm. triangular looking. And the vaquita is dark gray with lighter gray on the bottom and a pale face with black markings around their eyes and mouth like a panda. Mm. Little panda bear eye spots, which is very, very cute. They're only up to five feet long, which makes them the smallest cetacean in the world. Wow. They're only, I saw them described in one article as bathtub size.
1: <laughs> that must be nice. As in,
0: like. <laughs> 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 christian's too tall to fit in most bathtubs <laughs> but the vaquita is not the vaquita could fit in our bathtub probably
1: oh to be a vaquita
0: oh to be a tiny little vaquita not that in, that's in where a, they belong but that's no fine. they don't go in bathtubs um <laughs> and just to zoom out real quick cetaceans that word i said a second ago that is the group that includes whales dolphins and porpoises so to contrast vaquitas with the largest cetacean the blue whale Mm -hmm. uh the blue whale reaches a maximum documented size of 98 feet making it nearly 20 times longer than the vaquita wow you could line up 20 vaquitas (laughs) (laughs) into one blue whale this is a tiny little guy they're so little and they're found in the gulf of california and that is the body of water in between Baja, California, which we talked about not too long ago, right. and the rest of Mexico, basically. It's that little skinny body of water in between that strip of land that's Baja, it's California.
1: Th- okay, so that's the area that has California in its name, but it is actually in what we call Mexico. Yes, it is okay.
0: part of Mexico yes. called Baja, California. Okay. And vaquitas are even more specifically only found in the northernmost corner of that gulf. It's so huh. in a very small range. They're only found in like a very specific part of the Gulf of California. And just a quick little note on etymology, because I thought it was nice. Vaquita is a Spanish word. I and mean, let's see how Duolingo has been serving you. What do you think vaquita means?
1: <sighs> <laughs>
0: you could, pr- you might be able to pick it apart. Vaquita. Can you spell it? V-A-Q-U-I-T-A. I got nothing. Sorry. It means little cow. Oh. Like vaca, but vaquita. (laughs) It's very cute. (laughs) So it means little cow. And actually, in Spanish, they call it vaquita marina. Which specifically means sea cow, which is what we call
1: manatees. (laughs) But
0: we usually just call it a vaquita in English, but in Spanish they specify.
1: Now I gotta look up what they call manatees in
0: Spanish. (laughs) I didn't go that
1: far. (laughs) I just
0: thought it was cute. They call them a little sea cow and they got a panda face. They're so cute. (laughs) (laughs) So to get into our ratings for the vaquita, uh, for effectiveness, I'm giving them also a seven out of 10, like you gave yours. Like many other marine animals, their coloration is an example of countershading.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's a
0: darker color on top of their body that allows them to blend in with the dark waters below them when seen from above, and then a light color on the bottom helps them blend in with the sky when they're seen from below below. Uh, now, vaquitas do tend to stay in shallow, murky waters where food is really abundant. And there aren't that many large predators, um, although orcas and large sharks are found in that area mm-hmm. um, in the Gulf of California as well. So they can fall prey to those things. But now that being said, I mentioned that they're only five feet long. Their testes can be up to 5% of their body weight. <laughs> Huh. Which, to put that into perspective, for a 180-pound human being, that would be like having nine-pound testes. Interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's worth noting (laughs) that with whales, theirs are internal. They're inside, yep. (laughs) They're tucked
0: up in a way. They're not, uh, because that would significantly impact their uh, hydrodynamic. Considerably. Yeah. That would be some serious drag (laughs) in the water.
1: (laughs) Golly. Uh,
0: I mean, I had babies that were over nine pounds and, uh, even just those few months that I can't imagine my heart goes out to them. The poor little guys. Uh, but as it will become clear later in this episode, they're going to need them. So. Uh-huh. The other thing that I gave uh, Vaquita's effectiveness points for, because these porpoises are extremely rare. Uh, there's not a ton known about them because we just haven't had a chance to study them very much. But... Like I mentioned earlier, the species is only found in a very small area that's geographically isolated from the rest of the ocean. They have a little pocket, and they're split apart from the rest of the ocean. So their numbers only ever reached a peak of around 5,000, like ever. There have never been more than like 5,000 vaquita at any time. So in small populations without much genetic exchange from outside of their range, you typically see a genetic collapse, right? You see too much inbreeding where that causes harmful mutations of genes to get passed around and amplified. And then eventually the whole population loses vitality and then can collapse completely. So you see that a lot with these really, really small populations Mm -hmm. that usually don't last long. But, a study that sequenced the genome of vaquitas in 2020 showed that despite very low historic genetic diversity, they're still genetically fine. Like, they have a completely stable genome. Like, it's not really something that seems to impact them the way it would other species. Which is maybe just due to the fact that they have had such a small population for, like, hundreds of thousands of years, that it's just something they've adapted to. Hmm. And they seem to be all right with it so it seems like their genes just don't mutate that much like they just don't have a lot of mutation so then they're less likely to develop harmful mutations that get passed around in their population Hmm. and then if they do they quickly phase out so it seems like they just seem to be really well adapted to low population sizes which is especially important for vaquitas as i'm going to get into in just a minute but before i do let's talk ingenuity for vaquitas Uh, I give them an 8 out of 10, mostly for the fact that they're very elusive. There's not a lot known for sure about their behaviors. A lot of what is kind of assumed about them is based on closely related things like harbor porpoises. So you can kind of like guess what vaquitas are like based Mm -hmm. on what harbor porpoises are like. But vaquitas are very shy. They stay clear away from human activity. Um, Like other toothed whales, they use echolocation to Mm. navigate. For whales, they produce clicking sounds, which are amplified by that squishy glob on their forehead, which is called a melon. Mm
1: -hmm. You
0: can see a lot of videos online of people like whale trainers and stuff like pressing down on the forehead of like a dolphin or something and it just like bloop. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a water balloon
1: i think it catches people by surprise when they see a skull or mm-hmm. a casting of a skull of one of those kinds of creatures and they see how there's not a bunch of stuff there <laughs> right how it's like
0: the, where's the bone right. right like you think it's gonna be like our kind of skull that has right. like a big dome on top and right. you're like nope it's just bloop they have a big squishy melon on front of their forehead, which amplifies their clicking sounds, and then they listen to the echoes that bounce back to tell them what's around them. And they can usually rely pretty well on their echolocation, since the waters that they live in tend to be pretty murky mm. and muddy. They're kind of that like brownish like water that you really can't see too far anyway. But echolocation does not help them detect their biggest threat, which is gill nets. Yeah. So while vaquitas are very shy and do avoid human presences like boats, they can't see or hear nets. Nets just like are too thin to produce enough of an echo for the vaquitas to be able to know where they are. They have no clue they're there. They swim right into them. So... Big problem for them. I'll get into that a little bit more right after we talk about aesthetics for the Vikita which I gave them a full 10 out of 10 for because, oh my gosh, it's a little sea panda.
1: <laughs> They're so cute. Sounds like it.
0: They have a blunt little nose. And then, if you look at a picture of them, their tiny little mouth is angled upward in such a way that it looks like they're smiling. It looks like a little chibi anime, like Kawaii smile. They're so cute and they have this black eyeliner. It's gorgeous. (laughs) It's baby. They're baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's so sweet. Now this brings me to really where the bulk of my content for this episode is. If you notice that I kind of breezed through my ratings for this animal, it's because this is kind of a a rear loaded (laughs) segment for me. I will also say it's also a huge bummer. So please be advised if you don't feel like being bummed out, maybe press pause, come back to this later. But the vaquita's conservation status is critically endangered, Mm. which it almost seems like there needs to be a different category for the vaquita because they're like, I mean, as close as you can get to being extinct without fully being there. Mm -hmm. In 1997... There were around 600 vaquitas, which was not... Like, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. They could deal with 600. And now the vaquita population is estimated to be in the single digits. Wow. At Ten or fewer individuals left. So what happened? This is like a huge collapse of a population. It goes all the way back to a fish on the other side of the world called the Chinese Bahaba. These fish, the Chinese Bahaba, were... Are... Were prized for their swim bladders so that little we've talked about swim bladders before it's an organ inside of the body of a fish it's like a, a gas-filled sac mm-hmm. that a fish can you know inflate or deflate to control their buoyancy in the water their swim bladders are dried and used as ingredients in traditional chinese medicine So these swim bladders were extremely valuable because it's basically a one-to-one, right? One swim bladder per fish. Right. You could only get one for every fish that you bring out of the water. So the fish were highly targeted by fishermen, leading to the depletion of their population by the 1960s. So laws were put in place to restrict the capture and sale of the Bahaba, but the IUCN still to this day lists the Chinese Bahaba as critically endangered. But people still wanted to buy the swim bladders. So they turned to a cousin of the Chinese Bahaba called the Totuaba. Now, these are both types of drum. The Totuaba uh, is only found in the Gulf of California. Mm. And they ultimately faced the exact same issue that the Chinese Bahaba did. They became overfished and their populations depleted. So, in 1975, Mexico actually added the Totuaba to their endangered species list. But enforcement of those laws wasn't very consistent or like thorough. Illegal fishing and sale of the totuaba just continued. And in fact, over the last two decades, demand for them has skyrocketed. So it's actually increased a lot over the last two decades. In fact, just three months ago in June of 2023, I found an article where customs officers in Arizona found 242 pounds of Totoaba swim bladders hidden inside a commercial shipment of frozen fish fillets... And these 242 pounds of swim bladders were valued at an estimated $2.7 million for 242 pounds. So since this trade is illegal, international, and highly profitable, it is a huge, large-scale operation of organized crime. So, you get legitimate like mafia activity in this trade of fish bladders. People kill each other over this. Like, this is the sort of thing that is a very dangerous industry to be in. People react very hostily to efforts to stop them. Any sort of conservation efforts or even just like monitoring of like wildlife populations in the Gulf of California, people react very hostily to them. So, what does all of this have to do with the Vaquita, right? It has to do with the way that the totoaba are caught. So fishers use type of nets called gill nets to catch totoaba. So these are nets that are made so that the gaps between the webbing is only just big enough where the fish's head can get through. But then the whole fish can't get through, so they try to back up out of the net. Mm -hmm. When they back up, the net is small enough that it goes under their gills. Right. And it catches the fish by the gills. And then these gill nets are actually anchored beneath the water. So what this means is that if something gets caught in the net that needs to surface for air, like vaquitas, but also like things like turtles, they get caught tangled in the net. They can't reach the surface and they drown. Mm Mm-hmm. So, vaquitas are basically, like, they're catching strays, right? They're out here getting killed as bycatch. Nobody's, like, hunting vaquita. That's not the target, but they're getting caught up in it as bycatch. So, both the totoaba and the vaquita are, like, spiraling towards extinction together because they're, like, locked in together. Mm. Because the thing that's affecting one is affecting the other just the same, even though it's not, like, intended to. So in 2015, the Mexican government banned the use of gillnets temporarily in the vaquitas habitat, and in 2017 expanded the gillnet ban permanently to nearly all cases, as well as banning all forms of fishing in the vaquitas habitat, which was designated as a refuge. But the fishing ban in vaquita habitat was lifted in 2021. Now, In 2017, a very ambitious last-ditch effort to save vaquitas by bringing them into human care was launched. It's a project called Vaquita CPR. So the goal of the project was to capture wild vaquitas and keep them in what was called an ocean sanctuary. Mm -hmm. They basically built a pen in the ocean, like out in open waters in the Gulf. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going to be, you know, taking the vaquitas out of the water and putting them in a tank somewhere. They were just going to be like corralling them into like a controlled area of the open water that they could like protect them. So we've seen captive rescue and breeding efforts work in other species. Like just a few episodes ago, we talked about the California condor, Mm -hmm. which was in a similar state, right? On the brink of extinction, brought all of them into captivity, bred them in captivity, re-released them. It works sometimes. It works for some animals. Sure. Some animals have responded really well to it. It seemed like a drastic but viable option for rehabilitating the species, So um, scientists working on the project located and caught two vaquitas a month apart. The first one was a calf, and the second one was an adult female. The calf immediately showed signs of stress while they were trying to capture it. So they erred on the side of caution, and they released it. Mm -hmm. They said, you're clearly not tolerating this well. Like The population is so small that they really couldn't afford to lose this one calf. So they're like, you're not dealing well with this. Let's just set, set you free and find another one. The adult female that they caught a month later seemed fine at first. But then when they put her in the pen, she immediately became very agitated and stressed. So they released her because she wasn't doing well. So they're like, well, let's put her back. They put her back, but she unfortunately suffered a heart attack upon release. and wow. She did not make it. Huh. Yeah. And that was enough. They, call- they suspended the operation right then. Yeah. They were like, we can't keep doing this, right? Like if the aren't going to tolerate captivity... We're not going to continue to, like, endanger more of them by putting them through this process. Mm-hmm. And my heart really goes out to those poor scientists that were, like, trying to do what they could to save them. And then, you know, ended up harming one in the process. I know it wasn't something that had been tried at that point. So there was no way for them to know that that was going to happen. But still a sad thing that happened. And just yeah. goes to show you that, like, a lot of animals do not belong in captivity. They cannot hang. Like It's true. Like, we see this with, like, great white sharks, right? Like, you put one in captivity, and then they they can't do it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, not an option for every species. So, that kind of leaves you with the question, like, what do we do now? Like, what do we do now, now that we only have, like, less than 10 of these things kicking around? A lot of people seem to either think, or at least maybe they don't think this, but they try to make the case for it, that the vaquita is too far gone to be saved, that their numbers are so low that even if they repopulated, their genetic diversity would be so poor that they would suffer from inbreeding depression and collapse. But as we talked about earlier, vaquitas have a long history of thriving in low numbers, so it wouldn't be unreasonable to expect them to be able to come back. Right. Because genetic research has already shown that they can handle it, that they can handle a low population. Hmm. So that is to kind of encourage you know not giving up basically yeah. like don't give up on them they they might be able to to bring it back And there are organizations that are working with local fishers to try to replace the gill nets with safer and more efficient equipment. Because if you can replace the equipment with safer stuff for vaquitas, but if it's not going to bring in the same amount of money, people aren't going to use them. So it has to be safer and it has to be more efficient. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to swap them out for better equipment so that they can continue to earn their livelihood without threatening marine species like the vaquita. And one of the ones that I found doing that work in Mexico is called called Earth League International, which um, I'll provide a link for in the episode description. Also, if you eat seafood, you can use an advisory program like Seafood Watch to make sure that the fish that you're buying are fished ethically and sustainably. We've used Seafood Watch before. That was what we got that little pamphlet for from the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they'll, they'll tell you like whether like fish from this source are ethical. Like It's a cool...
1: Just a heads up, though. The person that is your waiter... Probably does not know that information off they the cuff. They <laughs> so
0: truly don't. They will
1: definitely have to go back and look or ask someone.
0: <laughs> and even then, right? Like, there's no guaranteeing that, like, the restaurant staff you're speaking to is going to have that information or that they're even responsible for that, right? Like, your waiter is probably not making the supply orders for your restaurant. Leave them alone, you know? <laughs> it's just a good way to, like, guide your purchases that you're making for yourself. Yeah, it's just be
1: prepared for that. That information is not going to be immediately available.
0: But also raising public awareness helps to put pressure on the Mexican government to take more action in support of marine conservation in the Gulf of California. So even just talking about it makes it seem like, you know, the sort of thing people actually care about, that people aren't just going to shrug their shoulders and forget about, right? Like, even just keeping it on our minds and talking about it is something that keeps it fresh and makes it clear that like this isn't the sort of thing that's just going to fade into the background.
1: So the the fish that is being targeted, how is that one doing?
0: They're also critically endangered. So uh, you can also remember that it's not just about the vaquita. Like, yes, they are adorable and they are cute. Mm-hmm. We want to save them because we love them, because they are so cute and they are easy to get your sympathy, right? But like the totoaba is also suffering and the Chinese bahaba is also suffering. They're not super cute. They're not the sort of thing you want to cuddle and put in your bathtub, but they need help just as much as Vaquitas do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the same things that are affecting Vaquitas are also affecting Totuaba. So, like, remember that it's not just about the cute ones. It's about everything that lives out there. And efforts to protect the vaquita really need to zoom out and protect the whole gulf, right? Because you need the whole gulf to be healthy, to have healthy populations. Mm -hmm. And if it is too late, and if the vaquita doesn't make it, you know, reflect on that. And reflect on what happened. And learn lessons from it so we don't make the same mistakes again. Like, this reminds me of, like, when we talked about, like, the thylacine Mm -hmm. that went extinct. Like, learn from that. Take a minute. (laughs) Sit on that for a minute. You know, like, go sit in your room and think about what you did. Like... Figure out what went wrong and really take seriously, like, okay, this is something that really happens. Mm -hmm. This isn't just an abstract, like, what if animals go extinct thing. Like, it happens. Yeah. And learn from it. And don't do it again.
1: I mean, it's the part that I think a lot that has missed a lot of times is the ones causing the problem aren't going to learn. So you need to hold them accountable.
0: Right. You need to, you know, hold a flame to their feet and say, hey, because of you, I don't have this adorable little cuddly sea panda anymore. Yeah. Just, I'm I'm sorry for ending on a bummer. <laughs> it's no good. <laughs> but it is also, you know, an important thing. You I feel like when you're talking about wildlife and you're talking about animals, you know, it can't be all fuzzy good feelings all the time because there are like hard things going on that we need to talk about, we need to know about. And it doesn't have to be doom and gloom, right? You don't have to give up on them. You can keep fighting for them. You can keep spreading awareness for them and also keep them in your mind, even if it is the end of the road for the Vaquita. Like, what can that tell us? Mm. What can we learn from that? Like, you can take that forward, right? Whatever happens, whether it is a lesson of, you know, beacon of hope or whether it is, oh, look at this lesson we can learn. Like, you can move forward with that and keep that with you.
1: Use it to... Fuel your rage.
0: Fuel your rage if necessary.
1: Yeah. Either way, you know, it's
0: an important thing to know about. So uh, sorry for the bad vibes, but some of the vibes are bad. What can I say?
1: <laughs>
0: and that's the Vaquita. I'm still holding out hope. I'm still cheering them on. I'll always be cheering them on. That's them. Thanks, babe. Thank you. And thank you, dear listener, for spending this time with us. I've dearly enjoyed it. Um, If you like what you heard today, I'd love it if you could leave a good review for us on your podcast app of choice. We've gotten some lovely reviews, such as Vixeldan, is how I'm choosing to pronounce this out loud, who uh, left a review on Apple Podcasts saying, I've started at the beginning and have slowly been working my way through the episodes, and it's really been such a joy to listen to. The hosts are so funny and charming, and their love for animals really shines. Mm. I hope that is the case. We've got a lot of love for animals, and I hope that uh, we leave you with some of that love, too. Yes. So thank you, Vixel Dan, and everybody else who leaves kind words for us. If you want to hang out with us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, TikTok, all that stuff. There'll be links in the episode description. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network with their other spectacular shows, like the ones that you heard promos for earlier in this episode. And we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music which will surely lift your spirits after the dark cloud that I have injected into <laughs> with this huge bummer of an episode. <laughs> Help me, Louis Zong. You're my only hope. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.